Y'all good this morning, church? Good. Y'all ready to be in the Word together? Church, this morning, when you got here, do you have any needs? Did you bring any needs with you? Anybody got any needs today? Okay. We all have needs, don't we? We all have needs. We all have very basic needs. Now, needs are different than wants. Y'all know that, right? Do you have more needs or more wants? You got a lot more wants than you got needs, don't we? Now, we kind of bleed that line sometimes. We kind of forget needs and we kind of make wants more needs. But you know what? Ferrari's never made the list of, of needs, you know? No matter how many times you watch Thomas Magnum go down the highway, it's just, you don't need it. But we want it, but we all have needs. You know, as long as we draw breath on this world, we are going to have needs. Some needs are very, very basic. Some of our needs might just, well, the fact that we need the air that we draw our breath with, right? We need air in our lungs. We need food to eat. We need sleep, preferably at night. Y'all know what I mean by that, right? Everybody? All right, good. We need sleep. But we need more practical needs, too. We need needs that are outside of ourselves. We need community. We need familiarity. Now, I know people that love kind of pushing the envelope, getting outside the box, getting out of their comfort zone. I love it. But at the end of the day, some point in time, we need some, some level of familiarity, right? Okay, think about it for a minute. It's fine. We need self-preservation. If we didn't care about ourselves, then we're going to do ourselves and a lot of people a lot of harm, right? There's a lot of needs that we have. But this morning, I submit to you that the greatest need that we have is a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, as initiated by the Holy Spirit. It's the greatest need we have, church. The greatest need that every human being throughout the course of history and throughout the course of future history will ever have is a need with a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ initiated by the Holy Spirit. It's the greatest need we have. But at the same time, I know there's a lot of people that don't agree that this is a need. There are people that believe this is just something that they want to see happen. There are people that believe, you know what, I I know I need that, but I'll do that later. There's a lot of people that say, well, you know what, getting saved, a need for a relationship with God, that's not really my thing. It's kind of funny, anytime we hear of somebody passing away, we instantly hear how they're in heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? But the whole idea of giving my life to Christ isn't something I'm on board with. Y'all know that's a disconnect, right? So the greatest need we have is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ initiated by the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who may not feel that a relationship with God is something you need, for those of you who feel like church and Jesus isn't your thing. And let me, under, let me make sure I explain to you who I'm talking to. I'm not talking about the people in the room that don't profess Jesus as Lord. I'm also talking to the people in the room that got saved. But you don't know Jesus. What I mean by that is you checked a box. You got in the water. But your life hasn't been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Because we can do a lot of things in our head... But to give our heart to something is totally different. So when I say that the idea of if Jesus isn't your thing, 
then I need to read to you a quote from George Whitfield that I saw on Instagram this week. And it says this. I must not flatter you, my dear friends. I will dear sincerely with your souls. Some of you may think I carry things too far. But indeed, when you come to judgment, you will find what I say is true, either to your eternal damnation or comfort. Today, I want to share with you the greatest necessity you and I have. It is the need for a ransom relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, initiated by the Holy Spirit. And in order to do so, we're going to be looking at the necessity of God's Word. We're going to be looking at the necessity of God's Word. We're we're in this study of the Word. We're going to wrap it up next week. And as we've been walking through a study of God's Word, we've acknowledged what God's Word is. We talked about its authority, we talked about its inerrancy, we talked about its clarity, and this morning we're going to talk about the necessity of God's Word. So today, that's what we're going to be camping out on. But to start off, I want us to look at what we don't need God's Word for. I want us to start off by looking at why we don't need God's Word. I mean, there's always people that that have conversations, and some of you might even be thinking now when we ask questions about what about people who never read the Bible, or what about people that that don't have access to the Bible? Well, let's start there instead of circle around to it, okay? Let's start about what we don't need the Bible for. In Psalms 19, verses 1 through 4, by the way, we're going to be jumping around a good bit. Where we're going to be camping out is going to be on the screen in just the next few minutes, but we're just going to be jumping around a little bit, so don't be trying to Bible drill it with me. You can just write it down. I'm going to read it. You can go back and study it later if you would like to, but Psalms 19 says this for those of you saying, what about people who never read the Bible? What about them who don't have the Bible? Verses 1 through 4, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. You know, without the Bible, some knowledge of God is very easily grasped. It tells us just in these four verses that we look at that you can go outside, you can go into God's creation, and we can look and see the majesty and the wonder and the wisdom of God. It doesn't take a a rocket surgeon to walk out and figure out that, you know what, that sky up there is pretty amazing. And there's nothing man can do to manipulate that or recreate that or mirror that. And you know what, this idea of rain... And weather, this is fascinating. How come we can't control that? How come we can't manipulate that? How come we can't have sovereignty over that? You can go and look at all throughout creation, and that's what this verse is calling us to, that God's own creation reflects God's glory. That even people that refuse to believe that there is a God at some point in time in their Uh, supposedly brilliant minds have walked out and thought, man, where did all this come from and how in the world did it happen that precisely? By the way, y'all know it's still just a theory, right? This whole Big Bang thing. There's more evidence in Scripture than there is for that theory. Look it up. 
So the idea that we have creation itself can reveal the fact that God exists. It can reflect the majesty of God. But not everybody sees that. In Romans 1, verses 18 through 23, we do have this, I believe. If not, it's okay. You have it in your Bible. But in Romans 1, verse 18 through 23, says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been what? Clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are what? Without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. See, not only did this generation of people reject the truth of God, they chose not to worship God. They went and started worshiping the things God created. Does this make sense to anybody? That's like going back here in the second grade room and going to that little pile of Play-Doh and saying like, you are so amazing, little Play-Doh statue. I can't believe you have formed yourself into such a unique shape. Thank you so much for being here, Play-Doh statue. That's what they were doing. They were bypassing the worship of God and worshiping images of his creation. So even the fact that God has revealed himself and made himself known to us through his creation, people still missed it. And over and over in that passage of scripture, it talks about how simple it was and how clear God made it to them. But let me ask you this, not just the people that we see in Romans 1, but don't we do this exact same thing? Don't we get caught up in this idea that we have this incredible, majestic God? We even come in here and acknowledge it. But sometimes when we leave here, we get so caught up on the little, small things and we dedicate our lives to that. Our time, our energy, our efforts, our money. We go after those things and those become the things we worship. We sit in a room like this and acknowledge things with our lips and we walk out the doors and we pursue everything else. It just looks a little different than images of birds and reptiles. It might look like money, recognition, man-given power, your title, sex, alcohol, and other substances, worship of self, our material possessions, sports. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on, these small things that we decide to chase after and worship. So when we read this passage in Romans 1... Let's not move past the fact to be like, oh yeah, those dumb people, they just don't get it. We do the exact same thing when our heart is not chasing after the lover of our souls in God. It's not just the existence of God we don't need the Bible for. We can also know about God's character. We can also know about God's morality. We don't need the Bible to know these things. 
people who have never read the Bible know that their sin is wrong. Again, in Romans 1, verse 32, it says this, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. They know it's wrong, but not only do they continue doing what's wrong, they approve of those who practice them. Church, again, they're talking about those who have no familiarity with who God is, but this is not recognizing and calling out to us as well. I am ashamed to say that I have been caught guilty of living a double standard life before. Of proclaiming to believe God's word is what it is, but my life screams something different. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. Goes to another church in a different city and he was talking about how he was so broken hearted. That in church they gather and they proclaim. uh, One of the truths they were proclaiming recently was championing the God as the author of life. And when we have little bitty babies and we have pregnant women that God is at work and maybe their sin got them into that situation or maybe it's a beautiful thing created in the, in the confines of marriage, I don't know. But because of this, we're living in a world that says that's not a living thing. And the world proclaims abortion and we as Jesus Christ followers said, no, it is not abortion, it is a life and it deserves to live as God intended it. And it doesn't matter how it started. What matters is that God has created life and we honor God by letting that life come forth. We stand firmly against abortion as believers of Jesus Christ. And he was talking about this and he said, and I went home and I pulled up Facebook. And he said, "I I saw six of our church members going on Facebook and posting articles about women's rights, that they should do whatever they want with their bodies. And he said, these people are sitting in our auditorium on Sunday morning and they're going on social media and claiming a social justice based on the world's standards. This isn't just those without the word of God that know God's righteous decrees, but yet continue to participate in it and then like are okay with it continuing to happen in the lives of others. This is us. We don't even need God's word to know his, his, his heart, his moral values, his character. I mean, without God's word, the answer of why or why not to people who don't know God, they can't explain that to you why it's wrong, which is why our world is the way it is. But you can find the most staunch non-believer. You can find someone who has never opened God's word nor heard about God's truth. And you know what I guarantee you they'll tell you? I can guarantee you they'll tell you that at some point in time in their life, they've had a guilty conscience. They've known they were wrong for something. They had a bad feeling about something. Because even without the Bible, we can know God's character and his moral laws for us. But because we have these things that we don't need the Bible for, it points us to what we do need the Bible for. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans 10. And as you turn to Romans 10, we're going to look at three elements that point us to the necessity of Scripture. Three elements that point us to the necessity of Scripture. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I've, been, I've been studying and working off my f- friend, Mr. Wayne Grudem. He's not literally my friend, I just got his book. Uh, and he gave, us a, gave me a lot of information that I'll be sharing with you today. But I'm just letting you know, I'm not smart enough to know a lot of this stuff that I get up here and preach about. I just study God's Word and get people who I trust to help me understand it, and then we come and talk about it. 
But the three elements we're going to look at today in understanding the necessity of Scripture is this. Number one, the word is necessary for us to know the gospel. The word is necessary for us to know the gospel. Number two, the word is necessary for us to maintain our spiritual life. The word is necessary for us to maintain a spiritual life. Number three, the word is necessary for us to know God's will. And all three of these necessities of Scripture are going to be played out in this passage. So let's look at this Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, if that's your testimony, do you want to make something like that be known? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that your story? Then let it be known. Verse 14, How then... Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But not all of the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So let's take this passage of scripture. Let's look into these three ways that we know that God's word is necessary. Number one, the word is necessary... For us to know the gospel. I'm going to read a phrase to you. I'm going to read it word for word. Because I know that some people might not agree with it. And here it is. The truth is this. People can know about God. But no one can be saved. Without hearing the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read it again. People can know about God, but no one can be saved without hearing the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John three sixteen through 18 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, But to save the world through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the father but through me. John's not enough for you. Peter says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 as he's preaching, he says salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Church, know this. Salvation is only found in Christ alone. 
We have a general revelation of God through his creation, but salvation comes through Christ. And here's the second step in that. That salvation must be received. It must be received in order for us to experience our adoption into sonship into the fellowship of God. You want to know something? God owes me nothing. God owes you nothing. Simply knowing about Jesus is not enough. When we are made aware of our sin and recognize that our sin has separated us from God, it's not enough for us to say, well, huh, how about that? And expect when we die to walk into God in his presence in heaven. It's not enough. We need to recognize that in spite of our sin, that God still loves us. And I don't understand that. You know, in God, in all his perfection and holiness, when there was the garden, and you had Adam and Eve's rebellion, their sin of disobeying God and doing it their way, when that separated humanity from God, God had every right to say, I'm done. We're finished here. Contract broken. Good luck with that. And you know, as as humanity continued on and time progressed and people populated the earth, it would have been real easy for God to say, nope, just look at who they are. Look at how they're acting. They're sinful. I'm perfect. I'm holy. We are separated. I cannot have any type of affiliation with them. They have corrupted everything that I've created and I remain separate from them. You know what? We could have looked at that account of creation. We could have looked at our human history and God could have stepped in and said, all right, humans, here's what I'm going to do. I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to save 10 of you. I'm going to save 10 of you and bring you into my presence when your life is over. And you know what we would have done as humanity? We would have said, that's an incredibly gracious God. Now, you're all sitting here thinking about, I want to be one of those ten. That's the problem is because we're so consumed with ourselves. But if we look at a perfect holy God to look at something completely imperfect, say, you know what, I'll save ten of them, we would have no choice but to say, well, you know, he doesn't really even have to do that. That's pretty gracious of him to accept ten people. That's pretty amazing that a God would do that. God could have said, I'm going to save a hundred of them. And we would have said, wow. We don't deserve, and a hundred people don't deserve this. Humanity doesn't deserve this, this fellowship with God. Can you? He has every right to do that. But we have a God who loves us to the sense that he says, I'm going to create a way for whosoever will shall be saved. God owes us nothing, yet in all of his righteousness and goodness and love for us has created a way for us to have fellowship with him. Do not tell me. That's not fair. You're exactly right. That's not fair. 
in our favor. When God allows us to have access to Him because He sacrificed His one and only Son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, meaning that all of my sin, all of my imperfections that separate me from God, the consequences for that were cast on the person of Jesus. That when he died on the cross, my sin died with him. And when he came to life from the grave, I was given new life in Christ. That is not fair. Praise the Lord. That is not fair. But you can't just sit back and recognize all this happened and not accept it. Too many times people think that they can get into heaven because their association with church or their association with their Sunday school class or because I checked the box this many times. Church, it is a relationship. And the relationship starts when we acknowledge our sin. When we go to God and admit that our sin separates us from Him. That we accept, we acknowledge who we are, we accept who Jesus is, what he did in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his complete resurrection, and how that takes away our sin, and that through that we ask God to let that forgiveness apply to our sin and be accepted by him. You're not going to see that in the sky. You're going to find it in the word of God. See, we can know about someone all day long, but that does not equate a relationship to them. God's word reveals this to us. And as believers in Christ, once we've accepted the author of salvation, offer of salvation, we go to step two. That the word is necessary for us to maintain our spiritual life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when he was being tested in the wilderness, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 1 Peter 2, verses 2 through 3 says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know what I'm glad about this morning, church? I am really glad that God doesn't just save us and then just put us out to pasture. I'm really glad God didn't look at me as a 16-year-old and say, hey, you know what? Welcome to the family. Good luck. I'm out. I'm so glad that God not just transforms our lives through the salvation in Jesus, But he provided for us what Jackie Burney said a few weeks ago, the greatest love letter ever written in the history of mankind by providing us the Bible. Just as our physical bodies need nourishment in order to grow, we need food, we need water, we need exercise, we need these things because it's going to help us grow and be healthy and get stronger. Just as our physical bodies need this, our spiritual life needs nourishment as well. And that nourishment is found in the Word of God. Of God. When we neglect to read and study God's word, when we neglect the bread of life that's broken to us, that's in this word, guess what? We get weak. We get unhealthy. 
And when you're weak and unhealthy, you're not able to face the challenges that the world is going to bring to you every single day in this thing known as life. So when we come to the necessity of Scripture, we recognize that the Scriptures are necessary for us to maintain our spiritual life. Coming into a relationship with God is not the beginning. I mean, excuse me, it's not the completion. It is the beginning. Don't quote that. Sometimes I get ahead of myself up there. It's a real short train, all right? So it doesn't take much. So coming into a relationship with God is not the completion. It's the beginning of our story. It's the same basic knowledge as when we parent children. You go to the hospital, you have a baby. Three days later, the scariest news comes when you actually have to be responsible for providing it with care and love and all these things. So you go and load it up in the car. And you go and you drive to the closest community college or university and you drop it off at the dorm and say, you know, good luck with that. Or maybe college just isn't your three-day-old's thing, so you go find a job placement building and say, hey, it's a boy, so I don't know, maybe you can work construction. Good luck with that. We don't parent that way. Therefore, God's not going to parent that way. When we have children, we, we come home for them, and for the next 18 or 38 years, whatever, <laughs> we provide for them. We raise them up. We give them everything they need to grow. We need give them everything they need to be healthy, to learn. And hopefully one day that they could be responsible, contributing adults to society. Isn't that our goal as parents? Well, just like our parents would, God, through his word, a loving father, gives us his word because in it, it provides for us everything we need to grow to be spiritually healthy, to learn, and hopefully one day contribute to the building of the kingdom of God. We need God's word for this. But in order for us to have the need for God's word, to know the gospel, in order for us to have the necessary, the necessity of God's word in growing in our spiritual life, the third thing is this. The word is necessary for us to know God's will. The word is necessary for us to know God's will. Apart from the Word of God, we cannot know the will of God. Apart from the Word of God, we cannot know the will of God. And oh, we try, don't we? Oh, we try. Where do we, where do we try to discern the will of God from? We get advice, right? We talk to our friends. We, as Terrence calls it, we go to the Google. We seek our conscience, what our conscience is telling us. We check what our feelings are, whatever that means. Common sense would tell us. We, we try to discern the will of God through all these different things. Life circumstances, polling on social media. We try to discern the will of God. None of these things will ever be able to reveal to you the will of God apart from the word of God. And someone might even say, but Justin, the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, it's going to reveal to you God's word. You're absolutely right. It's going to reveal to you the will of God. You're absolutely right. But here's the thing. Without the word of God, you don't know what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like. And you can't discern the voice of the Holy Spirit from your own sinful desires. Because guess what? All that's going on in that bag on your top of your shoulders. You know what I'm saying? 
So if we're not investing in the Word of God, we're not going to know the will of God. And if we're going to say, well, the Holy Spirit's leading me. Well, if you're not in God's Word, I question what Holy Spirit you're holy listening to. Because we, in our sinful nature, which is what we were born with in our natural desires, do not crave the perfection and the holiness of God naturally. We have to discipline ourselves in doing so. So without the Word, not only do we not know the will of God, we wouldn't even know how to worship God without his word. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, I remember that word, don't you? That's what I'm talking about. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do you a solid today. I'm fixing to reveal the will of God for your life. It's like, hey, and you are the winner. Today, I'm going to reveal to you God's will for your life. Are you ready for this? You ready? All our teenagers are like, what's her name? I'm going to marry her. Say it. Because that was me. That's what I say that. I was really pathetic as a teenager. Anyway, here is God's will for your life. Are you ready? Know, trust, and obey God's word. Here is God's will for your life. To know, trust, And obey God's word. See, we're all about finding God's will because we want the answers we want. We need to seek the answers that God has. And it's found in knowing him, trusting him, and obeying him in his word. 1 John chapter 5 says this in verses 3 through 5. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that that's what, this is what God wants from your life? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants you to know Him, to trust Him, and obey Him? Do you believe that's God's will for your life, church? Do you believe it or not? Because apart from that, what more is it you want? What more is it you need to know God, to trust Him, and obey Him? Matter of fact, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that if we, as individual believers, I believe that as we, as corporate believers, as a body of faith, if we believe this, know, trust, and obey, then we will see the power of God on display in our lives, in our gatherings, and one day when we see him face to face. I believe that if we, as individuals and as a church family, live this know, Trust and obey. If we live out God's will for our lives, then we are going to start to see the power of God real in our individual lives 
in our corporate time when we gather, we're going to see the power of God on display. And one day we're going to see the power of God on display when we see him face to face. I believe this, but there is one last thing I want to mention to you, church. We've talked about the three ways that God's word is necessary to us. I want to take you back to the first thing we talked about. Because there are people in our world. There are people in our city. There are people in your schools. There are people in your workplaces. There are people in your families. There are people in this room. That do not believe God's word. They do not know what a relationship with God looks like through Jesus Christ. And I remind you of what was shared just a few minutes ago. And it says this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? all church we can sit here all day long and talk about the necessity of scripture we can sit here all day long and say but what about the people in so and so land that don't have God's word they would have God's word if God's people would be willing to communicate it they would have God's word if us And the reason I say us is because we just communicated the truth of God's word called the gospel. If the people in this room that knew and understood that walked out these doors and communicated God's word, understand this. When we're talking about the necessity of God's word, I'm not saying the necessity of everybody to have one of these in their hands. I'm saying they need the necessity of God's word. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus, I'm not saying let's go hand out New Testaments. I'm talking about speaking the word of God by communicating the gospel. If we believe that, that God's word is necessary, then we believe it by how we go proclaim it. And for some of you, that might mean that you finally know, trust, and obey. Say, okay, God, I know you've been calling me into missions. I'll go. Instead of sitting in my comfortable home saying, what about the people in that land? I'll answer that question by going to that land. And I'll communicate the gospel. Okay, God, I know there are children, students, and adults in this church that need to hear the word proclaimed to them every day. I know the word. I don't know all of it, but I'd be willing to teach and serve in that capacity. Okay, God, I get it. You might be calling me into ministry. And it doesn't matter how old I am because the voice, when your call comes, it doesn't depend on the age limit. It's the obedience capacity. So God, today, maybe it's my turn to go and proclaim the gospel. Okay, God, I've been walking around this church for so-and-so years proclaiming that I've been a Christian for so-and-so years. I've never proclaimed the gospel. It's time. Stop asking questions. Start answering them. Proclaim the gospel that we declare so necessary for life. Because we know God's word. Because you have heard and know God's word. And it's time to make it known by proclaiming it. Can I pray for you?
Heavenly Father, I know there's a really good possibility that there's people in this room, there are people in this room that that church and Jesus has just kind of been discussed, but never trusted. And God, I know that there's a really good opportunity that people are sitting here today ready to answer that question definitively that they want to know they have a relationship with you through Jesus. Father, may they not wait another day. God, for the person in this room that Jesus just isn't their thing, through your Holy Spirit, God, reveal to them it's not a thing, it's a need. Reveal to them the necessity of the greatest need they have today, Father, and give them the strength and confidence and courage to come down and talk to me or Terrence or anybody that would be that they would find that would share with them the truth of your gospel. God, for the for the church member that's scared to death to make a decision for Christ known because they're afraid of what people would think, God, ex- put blinders on them that they no longer care about the opinions of this world, that they would pursue Jesus perhaps for the first time today, God, in a knowing salvation relationship. God, for the church member that you have been calling and you've been raising up to step out in in an area of, of great discomfort, but they know you're leading them there, Father, today will they have the confidence and the faith to know, trust, and obey and follow you in whatever it is you're leading them to. Maybe it is missions. Maybe it's to plant a church. Maybe it's to start a Sunday school class. Maybe it's to lead one that's needing help. Maybe it's to go into full-time Christian service in the ministry. God, whatever it is, may we know, trust, and obey because the necessity of your word that we believe, it's time for us to start acting on it. And God, may we as a church experience the power of your almighty presence through your word every time we gather because it is a necessity for us to stand on God's word. Not lean on it, stand on it. For without it, we have nothing. God, today as we come to a time where we're called to respond to you in obedience, Father, find us humble and responsive to your word today, God. I thank you for your word and how we need it. I thank you for the truth that's found in it. Now, God, use it to convict and encourage and correct and rebuke where it is needed in our lives. We love you, God, and we thank you for loving us first. It wasn't fair, but you did it anyway. So, God, this is how we respond to you now. Church, as we stand, let us respond to God. Sure.